Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. lovely to be here this morning. Oh, just to be home. Um, Battersea, I miss you guys. And uh, Westside, I can't wait to meet you. Uh, next time I will definitely be like more strategic and come when there's big church. Um, so yeah, so it's just so refreshing just to be um, amongst family, you know. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I was brushing my teeth this morning, I know, and um, (laughs) I looked out the window and on the next door neighbour's shed was a perfect circle of leaves, just like a perfect circle. And um, God spoke to me and he just said, um, today is going to be a full circle for people. I want to take people full circle. And I feel like he's taking me full circle. So (laughs) let's go on this journey together, the full circle journey. Um, Yeah, so you guys are doing a series on idols. How fun is that? (laughs) I, uh, (laughs) a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is a bit of a last minute trip. So probably, what, eight weeks ago or something, I was like, um, voice note of Viv, we're big fans of the voice note. And um, voice note her and I'm like, okay, Viv, get ready. Your favourite preacher's coming all the way from Australia. I've got a rhema word on faith. <laughs> and um, anyway, she uh, voice noted me back. And you know when you know in the first millisecond of the voice note that the rhema word on preach is not going to happen. <laughs> She was like, oh, this is amazing that you're coming. She's like, we're actually doing a series on idols and we're looking for someone to preach on singles and idols. And I was like, put the phone down. (laughs) Put the phone down. There is no way I'm coming to speak on that. And I was like, you know, I just, I was getting my voice note ready to send back, being like, I just feel like I just need to come and receive. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I didn't get to send that voice note because literally like the next day I was struck down by COVID, like intense, intense COVID, couldn't leave my house for weeks. And I got into it, you know, I live on my own, got into a bit of a psycho headspace with it. And I really thought that I wasn't going to recover. <laughs> and um, anyway, I was, I was crying out to the Lord, being like, God, am I going to recover from COVID? And the only thing that he spoke to me about in that time was singleness and idols. And I'd be like, Lord, am I going to recover? And he's like, singleness and idols. And I'm like, no, no, no. Am I going to recover? Um, It absolutely never dawned on me that if he was giving me a word for a preach that was in a few weeks that I would recover. (laughs) Um, But anyway, (laughs) I'm here. And I feel a little bit this morning like Jonah being spat out of the whale. Um, But I also feel like Nineveh, the person who needs this message. So come on. This is great. Um, So, shall we pray? I know that we just did pray, but let's pray again. 
Um, so God, we just, we thank you so much for your rhema word. Thank you so much for speaking this word into being. So Jesus. Oh, God, I just pray for every heart, for every heart in this place. Regardless of their relationship status, where they're at, I pray that every heart would be transformed. Every heart would be transformed by this message. Lord, I pray that we know you more on the other side of this than we do right now. Would you teach us, Holy Spirit? Yeah. Thank you, God. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Hebrews today as far as the scripture that we're going through. Um, if you haven't sort of got into reading the Bible yet, I really recommend Hebrews. It is such an incredible book about faith. Um, and it's kind of like, I kind of read it like it's a story book about the whole Bible. It's like got the Old Testament in there, the New Testament brings it all together. Um, and the passage that I'm going to be reading from today is in chapter 3. And just for a bit of context around it, it um, uh, the, the author, who we think is probably Paul, um, was talking about the journey of the Israelites and, and what sort of happened to them when they were in the wilderness. So I'm just going to... And then he was re relating that back to um, believers in the New Covenant, believers today. Well, 2,000 years ago, but you know. It still applies. Um, so from chapter 3, verse 12 and 14. Beware of your own hearts, dear brothers, lest you find that they are evil and unbelieving and are leading you away from the living God. Speak to each other about things every day while there is still time so that none of you become hardened against God, being blinded by the glamour of sin. For if we, are, if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as we did when we first became Christians, we shall share in all that belongs to Christ. Now, something I absolutely love about Hebrews is that it captures the tension of faith, the tension of faith, the believing for faith and the disappointment, the, the tension of of when things happen, but they don't happen the way you thought they were going to happen. Um, and I think there's a lot that we can, we can learn about that. And um, I think a lot of the time, our draw towards idols in our lives, um, both consciously and subconsciously, um, comes from that wrestling place with the emptiness of desires that are unfulfilled in our hearts. And today I want to, be, I want to look at um, the decisions that we make from this place when we're in that discontent, when we're, when we're not there yet. Um, last year, I was moving out of my flat here in Ballam and um, I had three days to move before I moved out and everything was bedlam, as you can imagine. And um, it was my 36th birthday on this particular day. And moving is a tricky time for me. I don't know why I decided <laughs> to move right on my birthday. Um, but anyway, woke up on my birthday and was feeling just okay. 
um, got up to, to go out of my room and make breakfast and I didn't make it to the door. Didn't make it to the door of my bedroom because I fell down on my knees and I was just this overcome by this grief, by this intense grief for my children that I don't have. And, um, and this just like, it was like a physical pain in my womb, just this longing, this longing that I had been ignoring and pushing to the side, pushing down, just came up to the surface. And there was no way around it that morning. There was no way around it. It just came up and jumped on me. <laughs> and I had to face the painful reality that I'm graduating through my childbearing years without an opportunity to try for children. And the thing that I had to face was the void inside of me, that empty, empty place. And if I can describe this void, it feels like an endless thing in the, in the, in the middle of your being. Um, it feels like a bottomless pit. Words I would use to describe this void are hopeless, disappointed, um, empty, but at the same time, completely overwhelming. For me, it felt like if I ever truly acknowledge this void, it will consume me completely. Have another glass of water. Here we go. Another sip. This void is the presence of everything that is not in our lives. Regardless of your relationship status, everybody is able to relate to what I'm talking about because it is the part of us that makes us human. I think that generally speaking, as humans, the way that we deal with this void is that we suppress it, we fill it up, or we try and worship it. We suppress it by choosing to live in a state of denial where we never acknowledge the existence of the void. Instead, we build our lives facing away from it. Or we fill it with vice. Literally, when I started writing... <laughs> When I started writing this message, I started writing about the void and I was just like, ah, oh, just going to go get a teaspoonful of Nutella. And <laughs> I literally did that and then came back and sat down and I was like, Georgia. <laughs> Case and point. You know, if I, if I feel physically full, then I am less likely to be aware of my emotional emptiness. Um, another thing we love to fill the void with is busy. If I'm busy, 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 then I never have a moment to be quiet because it is in the quiet that we fill the void. And honestly, just as a side note, I think that's why a lot of people struggle with rest because we don't have that honest relationship with that, with that empty part inside of us. The next thing is very different because those, those two things are in the background. 
but worshipping the void is very much in the foreground. It is the thing that we build our life around. When I get, I will be. When I get married, I will be chosen. When I get a better job, I will be valued. When I have kids, I'll be fulfilled, whatever it is. When I get, I will be. And for those of you who haven't heard my story, I, um, when I was 20 years old, I made a life decision to get married and um, it didn't turn out. I had a very short marriage, about three years. And um, I, I have spoken a lot about that from this platform. So if you're interested, go back to the archives of the podcast. I'm not going to be spending heaps of time on it today. But what I do want to say is the morning after my wedding... I woke up the morning after my wedding as a missus and there was this sinking feeling down in the pit of my stomach and I remember just thinking, why am I still here? Why am I still here? I thought this this marriage was going to change me, heal me, transform me, give me a new identity. But all of my stuff, everything I was yesterday, I am today. And all of my loneliness, dysfunction, um, disappointment has just packed its bags and come with me. Which wasn't a great start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But what I know, because of my 20-year-old self, is that my 37-year-old self will not be transformed, renewed, completely changed if I have a child. That's just not going to happen. Because what happened on, you know, the, the, when I got married was a desire was filled in my heart, but the void was not healed. That void was very much still in my life. Changing our circumstances does not deal with the greater issues hiding underneath the surface in our hearts. For me, yeah... This, this void, um, it, was, it became a great dictator of my life and a reason as to why I did things. You see, the thing about this void, the, the empty pit, is that it's actually a thieving spirit that is masquerading as the desires of our hearts. Ultimately, it is guiding us and motivating us with fear and it is very manipulative. This thing, this void is a shapeshifter. And once you get to a different season, it shifts shape into something else. Once you get married, you know, then all of a sudden you're longing for your autonomy of being single. After being single for so many years and longing to be married. If that happens, you are not listening to the desires of your heart. You are listening to something else, something very sinister and something that is going to steal from you no matter what season you're in in your life. If we worship the spirit of discontent in our lives, no matter what we achieve, we will return to that spirit and worship it. Unless we absolutely learn to fall in love with the process, we will be bitterly disappointed when we get to the destination. Yeah. So what is this? Like, where is this coming from? This fuel that is driving us, that is, it got us stuck on this counterfeit fulfillment. I believe that it is the promise of the fairy tale. 
And did you know that the definition of a fairy tale is a fabricated story told with the intention to deceive? The lie of the fairy tale has been woven into our Christian culture and it has warped our view of faith. I'm telling you that right now because I've lived it. <laughs> it has empowered us to stand on a broken foundation of entitlement instead of responding to the call of laying down our lives for something greater. One area that I believe is absolutely lethal for us is the concoction of mixing the Bible, Hollywood, and the prophetic. Going after it today, guys. Going after it. Feeling like Jonah. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times people have quoted to me Genesis 2.18. It's not good for man to be alone, girl. It is not good. And nearly every single time someone has quoted that to me, they have been quoting that to me as like for my entitlement to a spouse or for their entitlement to a spouse. And like, I just want to put a bit of context around that scripture. Like, you know, three rules to the Bible, context, context, context. Adam was the only person on the planet <laughs> when God said that, right? We now have nearly 8 billion people to choose from. <laughs> but God made us to live in community. And no matter what your relationship status, absolutely nobody is excluded from that. But this cultivating this community is our responsibility. And I tell you what, that is a really hard pill to swallow sometimes. And guys... I mean, I, when I was moving, I was in the house of prayer. I had all of, my, all of my, everything I owned in the world was in the house of prayer. And I was getting it shipped to Australia. And I'm not great with logistics, okay? It's just not, it's, it, I think it was just left out when I was just being put together. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Got a few extra things, maybe. Um, but I had to find some electrical tape so I had to label these suitcases that were being shipped and I needed a tape that would stick to my suitcases. And anyway, I went all around Ballam. I went to the store cupboard, could not find any tape anywhere. Only that brown stuff, you know, the shiny stuff, that doesn't work. Just in case you're thinking about it, that doesn't work. And anyway... I was in the house of prayer, it was cold, it was dark, and I just started sobbing, and I'm like, here I am, alone again, moving countries again, on my own, doing logistics, and I was major victim, you know, I was really going into that, it's not good for men to be alone, <laughs> I was really in that thing. Anyway, and I, um, I was having dinner with a friend in Clapham Common and her husband, and I walked to Clapham Common, cried the whole way about the tape. <laughs> and when I got there, I was an absolute mess, and they opened the door, and they're like, Georgia, what's going on? I'm like, I can't find electrical tape. And um, anyway, like my friend's husband jumps on Amazon Prime five seconds later, and he's like, oh, what's your address? And he just sends me the tape. He's like, it's going to be there by 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am not alone. 
I am not alone. And I tell you what, when I was sticking those labels on the suitcases, I had, I had a major moment of repentance. Just being like, God, like, thank you for showing me that, you know, that I am not an island. And that actually it just involves me putting up my hand and saying, hey, I need help. I need help with this. I can't find electrical tape, you know. And um, and I think that's actually a really vulnerable space to, to step into, especially when people have let you down before. Because I can tell you what, there is a tension to this. I have moved so many times and people have bailed on me at last minute, you know, like, and then it's just me and the Uber driver and I'm like, I'll tip you 10 pounds, you know, and we're back here again. Um, but this is the challenge. This is the challenge is to keep yourself in, keep yourself in community, keep yourself connected, keep yourself vulnerable because that's where the life is, guys. That's where the hope is. That's where the tape is. It's, it's, it's in the community. So um, as a single girl, I have 14 years of words telling me that my husband is just around the corner. It's a big corner, guys. It's a big corner. And of all the prophetic words I have received about this guy, and can I tell you, he gets more than I do. Like, he's, he's popular. Of all of these words, I would say about 90% of them have been really damaging. They've been super unhelpful and they have misled my life. Um, the 10% that have been amazing, encouraging, life-giving have come from my inner circle. They have come from the people that I do life with, who know me, who get me. You know, they haven't come from someone. I, and I will say, like, because of what I do, I'm a preacher, so, like, what I do for a living is, is, like, there aren't many single girls who do this, and I understand there's a big, fat spotlight on my relationship status. Um, and there's probably lots of people who are listening to this who are like, I'd like someone to pray for my husband. You know, what are you even saying? Um, but, um, right. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that's just my point. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, for me, receiving words, and, and I find the majority of the time when I receive word about my husband is after I've preached. You know, people come up and they go, hey, we haven't seen this before. Let's fix it. Let's get a husband. Let's let's pray him in. I um I was actually preaching in a church um a couple of months ago, and I went out for lunch with the pastors and some of their leadership team afterwards, and totally did not notice that I was the only single person at the lunch because it's not something that I you know go into a room and think. Um, but we're coming towards the end of lunch, and one of the girls just leant forward and she's like, Georgia, I just really feel like we just all need to lay hands on you right now. And we just really need to pray in your husband right now. And I was like, would you mind if we passed on that? <laughs> and can I just say, when you refuse prayer for your husband, 
people think you're really bitter and you've got issues. <laughs> anyway, let's just say that I didn't get out of it that day. It turned into a massive prayer session where, and I, at the end of it, like I walked out of that place feeling about that big, feeling just like I'm not enough on my own, feeling like I'm not in the club, feeling like God has forgotten me, he's looked over me, he's passed me by. And that is not the way I started the day. But when Tom Cruise <laughs> stood in front of Renee Zellweger in Joe McGuire with tears in his eyes and said, you complete me. We started to buy into this narrative that if we are not with someone, that we are not complete. When we treat singles like they are halves, like God has forgotten to do a complete work in them, we are affirming the lie and the voice of the void. We create unhealthy expectations and prophetic cultures. And I just want to say that the prophetic is not a vending machine. We don't put the desires of our hearts into it and God spits out the answer. You know, he's not the God of the prophetic eight ball. You know, will I marry him? Like, shake it up, maybe on Wednesday. <laughs> you know, like, that is, that is just not the relationship that we have with this amazing God. You see, the problem is, is that without realising it, we can idolise and elevate these prophetic words and mold them into the shape of what we want and project them onto our circumstances. And I'm gonna be really brave right now, that's why I'm having a sip. But I wanna tell you a very vulnerable story of when I did this. Because guys, we don't talk about this at church and I think that we need to. I really think that we need to. Okay. <laughs> so several years ago, I was um, living in the States and I was doing some ministry on the East Coast. And um, this woman came up to me after I had preached. <laughs> and, um, and she was just like, I just, I just feel like the Lord has given me a word about your husband. And she says, in three months, you are going to meet a man and he's going to be tall, he's going to have dark hair and light eyes and he is going to be your ministry partner. He's going to be the yin to your yang. Everything that you're not, he's going to be that thing. You're going to be an amazing team and you're going to travel the world together and, you know, like all the other bits. And I was just like, that is clearly a word for the shelf. <laughs> You know, when people say, oh, you know, just put it on the shelf, put it on the shelf. So I put it on the shelf and I circled the date in my diary. <laughs> anyway, three months later, I'm sitting on a bus and I am on my way to a missions trip. And I, I sit next to a guy who is tall. He has dark hair. He has light eyes. And he becomes my ministry partner for the next three weeks. And all I can say is that I was 
convinced. Okay, so we were on the bus and I just like take out my phone and just look at my phone and the date is circled. It is the exact day, the exact day. And I am absolutely convinced that this man is going to be my husband. I'm like, it's not even a question. Absolutely not even a question. He did not get the memo. (laughs) So after that, we come home, he starts dating someone else. And I'm like, that's not going to work because, you know, (laughs) I've got the word. And so I get his courage up and I like go and tell him like, you know, I've I really like you. I know that you're dating someone else, but I just felt like I needed to come and tell you. Because you know what? You've got to make yourself available. You know, if, if you're interested in someone, you don't want to go hiding up in some ivory tower. <clears throat> That's a talk for another time. But <laughs> so I like tell him that I like him, da-da-da. You know, he's like, I'm seeing someone and you're so brave. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, yeah. And um, (laughs) anyway, that's the end. And then a few years later, our paths collide again and we start doing life together in this country. And basically, I entered into a really unhealthy relationship with this man. And it's one that many people in this room are going to really relate to. Um, it's like those Christian friendships, right? Where you're really committed to each other and you speak every day on the phone and you text all the time and they're your person, but like there's no commitment. There's absolutely no commitment, but you're spending all this time together and it feels like you're dating, but you're not dating and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's like, guys, guys, just run. If you're in that situation... <laughs> Just like, it's really unhealthy. I think it's a really unhealthy thing, you know, getting like emotionally intimate with someone outside of commitment. And I knew that. I knew that going into this and all of my friends knew it and they were all saying to me, red flags. Like, this this is not healthy. This is not safe. It just doesn't feel great to us. And I'm like, whatever, I've got my word. I've got my word. It doesn't feel safe right now, and I myself have many red flags, but I'm just sailing into this, like, on my word. And it wasn't until about a year later that, um, that the still, quiet voice made its way. It made its way from the background into the foreground. And I knew, I knew I had, to, I had to break up with this fake Christian boyfriend of mine. <laughs> anyway, and so ending that friendship cost me a lot. It cost me a lot. It cost me a lot of my friends in London. Um, but, but the bigger cost was that it cost me my relationship with God, my relationship with the prophetic my heart turned hard towards the prophetic. I felt as though I had been tricked by God. I felt as though he had dangled the carrot of my heart's desire right in front of me and he'd made a bait and switch. Literally, I couldn't pick up this Bible and open it for a year and a half 
without feeling the stab of rejection in my heart. It took me a long time to realise that it was me who had turned my heart hard towards God because I felt like he'd abandoned me. I allowed that prophetic word to become an idol in my life, one that was projected onto what I wanted. And when I was brave enough to sit and to face that void, I found that still quiet voice had been there the whole time, just, just trying to get through to me trying to guide me into truth and into freedom, trying to stop me from getting hurt. But can I tell you, as soon as I moved to this country and I was in this friendship with this guy, I had so many signs. Like, I'm a prophetic person, I can find signs anywhere. And this is the problem, is when you want something so much, your soul calls it in and you attract it to you. And you know, like you start going past a street sign, it's like, it's a sign. It's actually a sign, you know. Um, But it was this, it's this, I feel like sometimes the signs scream, but the still quiet voice whispers truth. Yeah. I... I didn't allow myself to face the void in that, in that time of my life. I didn't acknowledge the red flags. I didn't keep short accounts with my heart. I wasn't honest with this guy and I wasn't honest with God. Just that scripture from Hebrews. Beware of your own hearts, dear brothers, lest you find that they too are evil and unbelieving and are leading you away from the living God. Speak to each other about these things every day while there is still time so that none of you become hardened against God, being blinded by the glamour of sin. Sometimes it doesn't feel like sin. It didn't feel like sin when I was holding on to that word. It felt like faith. But I did not have that out in the open. I was holding that close in. You know, my my inner circle who were like telling me, Georgia, this is this is weird, you need to get out of this. I wasn't saying, oh, but this word. And I know if I had of, you know, when you bring something into the light, it often exposes where it's from. And I just want to say this, that a prophetic word is absolutely never going to lead you away from God. It is never going to lead you out of his presence and it will never torment you. It is never going to cost you your emotional and mental health. And guys, we need to learn how to do this better. We need to learn how to do this better because together we can change the narrative. We can change the narrative about the prophetic and singleness and marriage. But we all need to get brave. We all need to get brave with our inner worlds and face the voids within us instead of allowing them to dictate our lives to us. The desires of our hearts are gifts to us. They are gifts. They are not meant to torment us. They are not meant to feel like a bargaining chip with God. They are not meant to motivate us with fear. 
And if at any point it feels like any of those things, that's a red flag of I am not listening to the desires of my heart. But I gotta tell you that that does not mean that there isn't grief. That morning on my bedroom floor, it wasn't only about acknowledging the void in my life. It was also about being real with the process um, of faith and acknowledging my reality. The word that God gave me out of this, you know, in this season that I'm in right now and in the pain and in the hope and in the, you know, all of the tension that's in it is that singleness is not a second-class barrenness, especially for women who have graduated through or are graduating through their childbearing years. The process might be different. The options might be different. And the grief itself might be different. But at the end of the day, we are still standing in the same place. At a low point recently, <laughs> I was on a, on a walk with God and I was just sharing my heart with him and just saying how, how much I longed for children. And I said to him, I just want to have a legacy. I want to have a legacy. I want to leave something on this earth that will continue. I really want that. And Jesus walked straight into my prayer. And he said, are you telling me I didn't leave a legacy? <laughs> he went on and he, he showed me all of the great heroes of faith who never had children. Basically, the people who wrote the New Testament. <laughs> he was like, Georgia, what you see here on earth is not the end game. Like your, your legacy that you are leaving is eternal. It is eternal. And you do not need children to have an eternal legacy. I really didn't want to share this message this morning. <laughs> and I found this message in the absolute pit of loneliness and disillusionment. I have poured myself into the scriptures um, and into the presence of God to find a way to navigate this season of my life. And honestly, this wasn't the message I was hoping to find. I wanted to find a message that confirmed my theology I had built around my ideology so I could get my happily ever after. I didn't find a lot of answers, but what I did find was a call. And this call is far greater than anything that we can achieve here on this planet. 
And I believe that it is the key to thriving no matter what circumstance you're in. In Matthew 16, 24 and 26, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And honestly, I think it's impossible to live an unfulfilled life when you have laid it down for Jesus. When I moved back to Australia, I bought a car, which was amazing because I hadn't had a car for 10 years. (laughs) And um, God highlighted this car to me. And it's like... It was like a really chic family wagon and like family SUV. And um, I was like, this feels like a strange car for me to have at this season of my life. (laughs) And he just spoke Isaiah 54 over me. He said, sing, O childless woman, break out into loud and joyful song. For she who, has, who was abandoned has more blessings now than she whose husband stayed. Enlarge your house, build on additions, spread out your home, for soon you will be bursting at the seams. I've got to tell you, I rattled around in that car on my own for seven months when I was staying with my 93-year-old grandmother, living the dream. And, um, and when I finally moved from her place to Melbourne, which is on the mainland um, in Australia, I um, had been there for two days. I didn't know what I was going to do for work. And a friend called me up and said, hey, do you want to do support work with some autistic teenagers? And I was like, no. <laughs> that feels like a very not Georgia kind of job. But at the same time, I hadn't updated my CV. And as we learned earlier... I'm not really great at the logistics admin side of life. <laughs> so I was like, do you know what? I'll give it a try. I'll give it a whirl. So a couple of days later, I started working with these, um, with these teenagers. And oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, guys. It is like the best job I've ever had. Best job, hands down. Apart from this one. <laughs> so... <laughs> And um, honestly, like, I have got to go on mission with these kids. They come from a Christian home, but they were zero interested in faith. They slept through church. They honestly just did not care. And then I was like, guys, you know why faith is boring? Because it's not real right now. We're going to activate it. And these kids, we have got, I've got them doing words of knowledge, praying for people in McDonald's. They've seen people heal. We went out to the homeless. I'm like, this is, we're a mission, guys. And now they are like, the church is their favourite. Sunday's their favourite day of the week. They, they are absolutely loving it. And God has filled my car. He's filled my car with laughter and stains and you know which I really struggle with (laughs) but and salvations of their friends I mean it has been absolutely amazing and yeah the you know the dream for children is still obviously absolutely there but now that feels like a treasure 
And what God has done is he's fulfilled me as I've gone on my mission. Isn't that amazing? If I can, um, if I can have the band back in all the sites, that would be amazing. The last part of that scripture, Hebrews um, 3.14 says, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God, just as we did when we first became Christians, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. For everyone that is just holding on to hope today, for everyone who is on the bedroom floor, crying out, feeling the grief. I want to read Hebrews 12, 12 and 13 over you. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand firm on your shaky legs and mark out a straight, smooth path for your feet so that those who follow you, though weak and lame, may not fall and hurt themselves, but become strong. I want to encourage everybody, everybody who is listening to this. Take a new grip. And keep your eyes on Jesus. I really feel like there's a, there's a spirit in the room of healing today. I feel like for people who have felt like their life was anonymous, the living God has witnessed your every moment. And for those, for those times where your life has felt like completely unseen, I just pray right now, I pray right now for the presence of God to come and surround you. And that you would feel held and seen and known by him. Jesus. And just for those people. I just want to read Psalm 139. Just a little bit of it. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. And when I awaken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. I think that God wants to heal broken hearts in here today. Where people have been broken relationally, I think that he wants to come in and I think he wants to heal disappointment. And this feels really brave to say. But I think that he wants to come and comfort people with baby grief. From people who haven't been able to have children through to people who have lost children. Even if you are 80 years old and you are listening to this, I know that God wants to heal you today. It is never too late to receive that healing. For people who have turned their hearts hard towards God, I know that he wants to heal you today. And for people who have been hurt by the prophetic, 
I know that He wants to heal you today. Just hearts be healed. Hearts be healed where you are right now. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.